0: The Gallows by I. W. D. Peters from Weird Tales, March, 1923. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Dale Grothman. The Gallows by I. W. D. Peters. Tomorrow morning at sunrise, I am to hang for the murder of a man at sunrise on the 9th of june the anniversary of my wedding day i am to be hanged by the neck until i am dead i am glad this state has not yet adopted the use of electricity in executions i prefer to spend my last moments out in the open under the sky the building of the gallows is finished the workmen are gone and it seems that the execution at sunrise is certain to take place. But every step along the corridor sends my heart into my mouth. Gladys is working for a reprieve. I am praying she will not succeed. The governor is off fishing, away from railroad and telegraph. If they do not locate him in a few hours, I shall be hanged. God grant they fail to find him. It is Gladys's will against mine. She usually wins, but every passing minute lessens her chance to have her way in this. It is now ten minutes to midnight. Dr. Brander, the prison chaplain, has left me, gratified, poor fellow, that he has succeeded in reconciling me to my fate. If he had known that the tall skeleton of wood outside, with its lank line of rope, Was in my mind a refuge, he would have turned from me in horror. The next five hours will be the longest of my life. Every step in the corridor strikes fear to my heart. It is not because I am guilty of the crime, for which I was sentenced, that I am glad to die. I am guilty, but that doesn't mean I deserve to die. I am going to hang tomorrow at sunrise, because I want to be hung. I could have saved myself but refused to do so solely because life had lost its savor a great wave of disgust with living possessed and still possesses me I am writing these words now that Gladys may know the truth she has tried to see me ever since I was brought here and I have refused to be seen that is one right a condemned man has to refuse to see visitors From the day we were married, Gladys demanded to know my every thought, my every act, every hour of the day. If ever one of them was not connected with her, she criticized, condemned, or cried. She resented, in bitterly spoken words and equally bitter acts, the small recesses of my soul that I, for the sake of my own self-respect, kept to myself. Finally she determined to show me that there were other men who appreciated her if I did not For a while after that all Hours of the day and night my home was infested with lounge lizards. I Endured it without a word which infuriated her Lester Kane a young fellow honest and simple was her first victim the first time I found him seated beside her on the dimly lit porch I welcomed him warmly we smoked and talked of our days in the army together I felt that Gladys could safely flirt with such as Lester if that was what she wanted but Lester called only a few times after that for two months there was a succession of young fellows about the place our house is not far from the Westmore Country Club And the golf links came almost up to our side yard our porch was a convenient place to drop in suddenly all that sort of thing ceased Gladys was away a great deal but as her mother lived in a town just a few miles away I thought nothing of it she became very quiet was thoughtful absent-minded flushed easily seemed not herself At first I was a good deal puzzled. Then, suddenly an explanation for the change in her dawned on me. Joy filled my soul. I was inordinately gentle with her, bought her a small automobile for her birthday, did everything I could think of for her comfort and pleasure. After all, I told myself, the emotional phase she had passed through was natural. Marriage is a more difficult readjustment with some than others It had evidently been so with Gladys If a child came to us it would make everything right a Child our child It was wonderful to think of She had always refused to consider the subject saying that she wished to enjoy life while she was young But she knew I wanted a son to bear my name a daughter to inherit her beauty and she had accepted the inevitable. A wave of excitation made me feel as if I were treading on cloud. I longed to mention the subject to her, but I felt that the first word about it should come from her. I spent hours thinking of tender, loving things to do for her. She accepted everything quietly, sometimes with averted face and flushed cheeks. I would draw her inert figure into my arms and hold her close, but she made no response to my demonstrative affection. At this stage the affairs of my firm sent me on a ten-day trip to close a Western deal. It was hard to leave Gladys, but now, more than ever, I felt that we would need money, and lots of it. We arranged for Gladys to go to her mother's, and I was to join her there on my return it is the same old story i came home before i was expected and went straight to our cottage with the intention of having gladys's room redecorated before bringing her home at the gate stood gladys's car i rushed into the house but there was no one on the lower floor nor in gladys's room nor mine i was about to descend the stairs when i heard a low laugh From the third floor i dashed up there and stood gazing at the closed door of the spare room what's the idea of running away from me asked the man you can't blow hot and cold with me i told you not to come here again it's not safe i'm not afraid of that husband of yours you're mine and you're going to stay mine i had listened intently but could not recognize the man's voice. "'Go now,' pleaded Gladys, "'and I'll come to your rooms this evening.' "'Not on your life. I'm here now, and I'm going to stay. "'Let go of me. You're hurting my shoulder.' There was a sound of a scuffle. I tried the door. It was locked. I put my shoulder to it. The lock snapped. Gladys gave a cry, leapt away from the man, a man whom i had never seen before the full-lipped black-browed type big soft as i took in the scene the tousled woman the flush-faced man a great wave of disgust almost overwhelmed me well said the man sneeringly what are you going to do about it if you take her away now and treat her right nothing and if i don't take her away i'll meet that situation when it comes it has come he said with a laugh and walked out i am tall slender delicate looking but i knew i was a match for that overfed brute i listened to the clatter of his feet on the stairs then i followed him the man was hastening toward a streetcar I cranked Gladys's car and followed. It was easy to keep the streetcar in sight, and to keep an eye on his sleek black head. He left the car at Hanson Street. I, without a glance toward him, kept on ahead. I turned at the corner in time to see him enter an office building. I was not far behind him when he took the elevator. The man in the elevator gave me the number of his office. He was telling a joke to his typist as i entered but his laughter died when he saw me you dirty thief you'll never cheat another man out of money his look of astonishment as i shouted these words was amusing he tried to give blow for blow but i meant what i said when i shouted at him i've come here to kill you To choke the life out of an overfed beast is not so hard to an infuriated man. In less than a quarter of an hour, he was dead. The police, for whom the typist had called, filled the room even before I had straightened out my disheveled clothing. I practically tried my own case, and I was skillful enough to make every word apparently uttered in my own defense sound black against me gladys tried to save me by telling the true story of the affair but i made a picture of her as a devoted self-sacrificing wife willing to ruin even her spotless name to save her husband i enjoyed seeing her cringe as i did this so skillfully had she and the big brute managed that there was not a bit of evidence to substantiate her story on the other hand there was a of story to help me, and, too, it was known that I had speculated in the past, and that I had lost some money. I made the most of everything against me, and it was enough, and it was enough. I was sentenced to hang on the ninth day of June at sunrise. Gladys came to the jail to see me while the trial was going on, but I managed to act just as if my story were the true one. And hers not and though she pleaded with me to let the truth come out. I would not admit that the truth had not come out The sentence was a terrible shock to her her mother carried her from the courtroom in a faint Before she recovered. I was in prison. I Shall welcome the hour of sunrise as I have never welcomed any moment in my life Not until then will the fear of a reprieve leave me Gladys is moving heaven and earth to locate the governor. God grant that she does not succeed. It is 4.45. I have spent much of the night at the window, gazing out into the darkness. What comes after death? That is the question I suppose all men ask at the end of life. I have never done so. It is a futile question one which none of us can answer but i believe there will be a surcease from the nausea that comes to those who have known disillusion and disappointment ten minutes to five now surely i am safe from the chance of a reprieve footsteps in the corridor is it my escort to the gallows or what i fear most on earth A statement from the warden of Larson penitentiary if Taylor had spent the brief period always allotted to a criminal for a few last words his reprieve would have reached us in time to stay the execution but he walked calmly unfalteringly up to the gallows and helped us with steady hands adjust the cap and ropes and he was dead two minutes before the governor's message reached us the end of the gallows by i w d peters